Napa know-how. There are lots of amazing cars on the road, but perhaps none more amazing than the paid-off car. It may not be pretty, but the price is right. Heck, if you keep that thing running, it'll actually start paying you. Because with Napa Rewards, for every $100 you spend, you'll get $5 off. So keep your car running longer, stronger with Napa Rewards, and watch the savings start rolling in. That's Napa know-how. Napa know-how. You are Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Dan Carver here, your friendly neighborhood sports writer, and I am your solo host for today's edition of Locked On Trailblazers. Eric Gunderson is uh, out for the weekend, so I am here with you recapping the Trailblazers win over the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, on Saturday, 113.97. Pretty good game, to be perfectly honest, and one the Blazers desperately needed um, and proved even more useful given that Denver then lost after that game uh, concluded and really gave the Blazers a shot. I think they're, as we speak before, uh, I'm recording this before the Blazers uh, play on Sunday versus the Heat. Um, the Blazers really gave themselves a chance because Denver lost, and so now I think they're they're a, a game and a half out. Um, of the eighth seed, and whether you want to see that or not, um, how you how you really feel versus the uh, the, uh, the draft standing versus uh, getting demolished by the Warriors in the first round, uh, it's really up to you. But uh, I think you're pushing to see wins at this point in time because I I, f- I feel like you should be pushing to see wins. It just you've gone through enough, Trailblazers fans. You've had you've had such a difficult year, and uh, hey, I commend you. I commend you if you, if you've stuck with this team. And you keep watching, and you keep going, and you're meeting friends out at the bars in Southeast or something, and uh, you know you're finding a way to to still root for this team. I commend you, because you know to be perfectly honest, I do this for a living. Um, you know, I'm over at NBC Sports, but also I just kind of feel like I'm a I don't know, like in this periphery of of coverage for the Trailblazers. If you follow me on Twitter, and obviously with this podcast and the videos I do, so man, I just so I, I have to. And so I, I, I was getting, I think I've said it before on this podcast or other ones, but it really was just kind of feeling a little bit like a drag. And so the Nurkic trade really made them a lot more fun. And uh, hey, they've got two straight wins under the belt, so good for them. And uh, hopefully that's that's good for you just in terms of uh, enjoying some, some Trailblazer basketball. So again, the Blazers won in Atlanta, 113-97. Uh, Damian had 27 points on nine of 17 shooting three of five from three point range, uh, six foul shots. CJ had 22, didn't hit a three, but it was 10 of 19 from the floor. Um, had, uh, what five assists, uh, Nurkic, your assist leader with six had 12 points, seven, uh, let's see nine rebounds, excuse me, six, 11 from the floor. Um, Mo Harkless had an extremely solid game, five of seven from the field. I think that's really important for Mo. Really important. Um, 12 points. He was aggressive. I liked that he was able to, you know, take some guys off the dribble. I, I like that from Mo. I, I hope to see that skill set evolve. Um, Vonley. Noah Vonley had 10 points, 11 rebounds. Pretty good. Five turnovers. Not great, but um, helped the Trailblazers out. Helped them, you know, on the on the boards. The Trailblazers had 54 rebounds, which is great. They out-rebounded 
Um, Atlanta by what? Let's see here, nineteen. They outrated by nineteen, so that's that's pretty dang good. Kind of demolishing the boards. Alan Crabb had sixteen points, some contributions. I mean, you had uh, eight points off the bench, twenty-seven minutes. Things not looking great for the Hawks with Ersan Ilyasova, the power forward position. I think that was really the, the deciding factor of this game, to be perfectly honest. Just watching watching the game in replay and also watching it, say, you know, I, I watched all of Vonley's 11 rebounds. None of them came against Dwight Howard. I mean, more than a couple of them. I want to say three or four of them were where he, he literally pushed Ersan Ilyasova to the ground. Like, he went flying. So, um... That, of course, is because Paul Millsap was not in the game. Paul Millsap did not play. Uh, he has a left knee injury, uh, and the Hawks really missed him. So I think that that's really a um, kind of a obviously an issue for the Hawks, but, um, you know, are we saying that this is the thing moving forward? I don't know. You know, Vonley, I think, has he, he showed some real signs of improvement starting at the preseason. We talked about that here, me and Gunderson have. Um, but I'm not sure that we've seen it you know over the course of the season we've seen breakouts like this a little bit here and there but not consistently not consistently and i feel like unfortunately we can always point back to something like paul Millsap wasn't out no vonley got uh he, he didn't he, he didn't get a rebound with dwight howard in the paint and a lot of times uh, or most of the time he got them against Ilyasova, um or he got him with dwight howard not even on the floor so Mostly that was Nurkic occupying space, but hey, that's a bonus for Nurkic. Nurkic, Nurkic is occupying space against Dwight Howard, and that's what a lot of great team rebounders do. They create rebounds for other players. So good on Nurkic. Hey, good for Vonley. I think the team did a good job. They got back on track. Again, Damien, 3 of 5 from the three-point range. Blazers shot 8 of 18 from three-point range. That's super important for this team moving forward. Obviously, because as, as good as Nurkic is at passing, you know, there's there's not really a a third weapon other than when Alan Crabb kind of goes crazy that you see is, you know, that if a team shuts down one of the two, you know, guards, it's really a tough time for this team. Even if, say, prior, you know, in the prior part of the season, Say Mokar Harkless was the best player, the third best player. You know, he wasn't, you couldn't, if you asked of him, it would be hard for him to come up with 20 points, you know? So I'm liking it. I'm liking it how, how this turned out. I think, you know, the Blazers have uh, a tough road ahead of them in terms of really finding that seed. Again, one and a half games is a lot to make up because as, as much as the, you know, the Nuggets uh, just lost their last game, you know, they're seven and three of their last 10. Now, so are the Blazers. But if you're a game and a half, what does that tell you? Can't make it up. Got to be better than them. Got to be better than them. The Nuggets are still playing very well. And so that margin, even though it's razor, 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 razor thin, we're at game 68. Not that many left to play. Not that many left to play. And of course, the Blazers, you know, you never know what happens with Dallas. They're 6-4 and four of the last 10, but they could be annoying them messing with them for that, that last spot too. So I think uh, the Hawks win is, is an important one for Portland. I know that you're probably glad they got it uh, unless you're in the um, either half of the uh, people listening to this podcast who uh, wanted to fight for that, that last uh, spot. So I'm excited about it. They take on uh, Miami uh, right before I record this or sorry, right after I record this um, on Sunday uh, again on the road 
correct, I believe, yes. So hopefully they'll uh, get a third win in a row before they come home for a three-game homestand where they play at Milwaukee, New York, Minnesota. Not a bad, not a bad, you know, next couple. I think we really are. This is the, ah, is this is this the section of the season that defines the Blazers? That's a good question because well, let's talk about who's coming up. They have two wins. They beat San Antonio, right? They beat Atlanta. They have Miami coming up on Sunday with all winnable, winnable. Milwaukee, New York, Minnesota, LA. Four games in a row. Two of them at home. Sorry, three of them at home. Man, if they get those, that's that's huge. If this game, if, if this team ends up on a a five game winning streak, even they don't even get all of them. They lose to Minnesota for some reason at home. Nah, nah, not happening. But let's let's say let's say they beat Miami today. We lose to Milwaukee at home, beat New York and Minnesota. Right, five and one. That's pretty good. I think that's huge. They're in 7-3 seven, seven, of the last 10. Then, of course, they played Denver. So here's the question for you guys. Maybe think about this. Because they have a bunch of easy, well, not easy, but winnable games over the next, to close up March, let's say. They finish with Houston. Is that the most important stretch? Or is April the most important stretch? Yeah, 12 days in April. Here are the games. Home versus Phoenix at Minnesota at Utah. Home versus Minnesota. Home versus Utah. Home versus San Antonio. Home versus New Orleans. A great home stretch to finish the season. Obviously, Moda, huge advantage for the Blazers. But you're going up against what? San Antonio's second in, in the Western Conference right now. You'll have to play Utah twice. Not helpful. Especially when Utah, Utah is right there. You know, they're not going to catch Houston. But Utah is right there with uh, L.A. where it's, I mean, <laughs> L.A. is not playing great. So I, maybe Utah won't be worried about it. Maybe you, Maybe Utah rests players. Maybe by the time we get to, you know, what, the third to the last game of the season, the fifth to the last game of the season, those are when they play Utah. Maybe Utah's resting players. I don't know. Maybe, L- I mean, L.A. is not, you know, not in a good spot. They're in a very L.A. spot, right? The Clippers are in a very L.A. spot. But at that point, maybe those games aren't so hard. So that's the thing, though, is that you still have to play Denver, Houston, Utah twice, San Antonio. Minnesota and Phoenix probably outs at that point in time. Hopefully they're outs, but. Ma'am. So is that stretch more important? I don't know. Let's just lump it together and say that this is going to be the last, you know, this last month of the season, obviously, is. It's it's obviously going to make the season, but I think it'll really. It'll let us know maybe a little bit more about this team's makeup. I think that's been that's been shaken in me a little bit, I think. I was pleasantly surprised. But last season, or by last season I mean, but after last season, I felt that this team sort of had a baseline. It wasn't possible to go underneath. I'm 31 and 37 now. I'm pretty close. I didn't think they'd win less than 35 games. 
at my at my you know most sorry with the least amount of confidence I would have in them. That's what I would say they would be. I think I picked them to be well. I picked them to be fourth or fifth this year in the West. I had some confidence in them this year, but man, it's gonna be a big one. Hey, aren't you guys excited for a fun end of the season after what you had to go through? Man, think about just just think about for a second. Think about the December you had with this team. Okay, came in eleven and ten in December. First game, eleven and ten. They finished December by losing to San Antonio by sixteen points, fourteen and twenty-one. Gross. Come on. January, February, not much better. <laughs> oh man. But March, man, March has been great. I don't know. Do I think they're going to do it? That's a good question. Do I think they're going to do it? Ah, oh, man. I, you know me. I'm pessimistic. I am. I'm a pessimistic guy, especially when it comes to the Blazers, which is, I think, which is what happens when you watch every single minute of this team or any team. You know what? That's what happens when you watch any minute of any team as a, uh, I think, as a, um, a writer or as an analyst of a team. You become more pessimistic and less, you know, uh, less you have less faith in faith in their chances which i think is also a part of overvaluing some of the things the other teams do so but i think they're going to do it oh, trailblazers fans i'm sorry i don't i don't know what to say to you cuz i i think it'd be boring to count all the wins and the losses here i'd do the same for denver but man do i think they can do it here's this if they beat Okay, let's put it this way. If they beat Denver, let's say they totally I'm I'm saying they're not gonna totally just crap the bed through the next six games. They're gonna stay on the current pace. And they beat Denver. If they beat Denver on Tuesday, March twenty eighth at home, yes. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That's the most important game of the season. Right against Denver. Let's call it right now. Give myself an out with that one. Anyways. All right. Enough about the Blazers and their standings. We could talk about this all day, but we know that, obviously, we're just going to have to wait and watch. Again, the Blazers beat the Hawks 113-97 on Saturday in Atlanta. Play on Miami on Sunday, 3 p.m., I think our time. But let's get to some questions that you guys asked me on Twitter. I appreciate you guys helping me out here. Obviously, without Gunderson, there's not a lot of conversation to be had. It's just me talking in a room. So uh, it's great to have you guys on Twitter to be able to uh, get this interaction going and, and have you know have something else to talk about that's not just about the last game. Let's get into a couple questions real quick. I'll start with uh, Deloitte's. Um, are you an accountant? I don't know. But uh, what skills do we need to look for to fill out the bench? We need veterans, shooting, defense, fewer players, or youth. Well, <laughs> it can't be youth. And Trailblazers are what? The Nurkic made them the youngest team in the league, correct? Or did he make them the second youngest team? I forget. One of those two things. But they're already they're already too young. They, here's the problem with the Blazers and the their sort of their arc, right? Is that they have guys in Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum who are 
Uh, I mean, Damian Lillard is a superstar. Uh, I'd say CJ McCollum is a star by now. But, you know, Damian is 26. Okay? he's He hasn't been in the league that long, but he's 26. So, it's not like if you had drafted... Um, you know, he's not like uh, Giannis or something where he's still somehow like 22 or whatever. CJ is 25. Okay? So, the 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 time for this team to develop together is not... You need guys that are generally in that same range who are close enough in it, in experience if you want to have youth or whatever. If you want to have developing players, they got to be a little bit closer. So I that's why I kind of think I'm a little confused by, you know, sort of Vonley. I don't think he hurts. And obviously at times he plays well. He had a good performance against Atlanta in the absence of Paul Millsap. But um, I think the Blazers have too much youth, to be perfectly honest. Too much youth. Now, could they add other things? Veterans to fill out the bench. Yes, absolutely. Having Gerald Henderson on this team was super useful from a perspective of having additional leadership outside of a singular voice that still pushes in the same direction that Damian Lillard takes them. Another guy you can't talk back to. You know, these social hierarchies are are super important in the NBA, especially when you're getting down to the fine details. When you're asking a team to be a playoff team, that's a certain amount of, uh, you know, variance you have to adjust for. Oh, we have to do this, this, and this, probably. But then when you want to go from playoff team to upper-tier team or mid-tier team, you got to make some adjustments. They're a little bit smaller. I mean, when you go from mid-tier team to elite team or top-tier team, I don't know how you want to separate them. I usually separate them into two separate ones. Then they just get a little bit smaller. The adjustments get a little bit smaller. And having guys like Gerald Henderson on your bench, or somebody like that, right? If we're talking about veterans. That's part of it. That's that's a little adjustment you can have. Shooting. I mean, always more shooting. It is 2017 in the NBA. Defense, yeah, sure. But then again, I mean, I think the biggest problem with the Blazers, the biggest problem with the Blazers is obviously defense, but it, the second biggest problem, and it's right there, is Last season, we saw it a lot about how teams shut down the only two offensive options they had. That's why Jamal Crawford's been super useful as an NBA player. Now, even though he's, what, how old is Jamal Crawford? 36? Right? So, like, I think it's how you add them and how the pieces fit together that ultimately matter, obviously. You can't just add it, oh, here's, he's a defender, boom, he solves our defensive issues because he is a defender. That's not, that's not how it works. But, still... Oh, Jamal Crawford's birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Jamal. 37 years old, Seattle native. But you know, you can't just you can't just add those things on and hope they'll fit in. They have to be kind of all of them. I'd be looking for a shooting veteran, not a defensive big man. That's what I'd be looking for. I think the rotation isn't solid enough. Vonley playing minutes at this point in time, he hasn't shown enough to do it. He hasn't. And Aminu, unfortunately, can't dribble a basketball to save his life and can't shoot it like he was last year. So his value 
And honestly, I would call in a question. I wonder if, you know, Neil O'Shea said that we project our wins to be a certain amount with Aminu at the four. I wonder if that was based off of career statistics, last season statistics, statistics with, say, you know, standard deviations away from his, mostly regarding his shooting. Okay, so if he's one or two standard deviations away from his shooting, let's say he let's let's say he reduces by five percent. Let's say he reduces by eight percent. Here's what you look like. But Aminu not shooting well enough to play that position. Not until Nurkic came in and opened up and stretched. If you watch the video I did on YouTube, you can go over and watch it. Dane not Dan on YouTube. I did a whole thing on Nurkic. Uh, Blazers Edge put it up too. But uh, you know. He stretches the floor in a way that's like it matters for this team because you can't clamp down on the two guys you know absolutely will score and absolutely need to score for the Blazers to win. So that's where we're at with it. I mean, Aminu's shooting 32% from the field. Sorry, 32% from three-point range, 38.6% from the field. Gross. Not That's not good enough. It's not good enough. So do they need those things? Yes. Veterans, shooting, defense, fewer players, less youth. Yes, all of those things. And they're only going to come in a couple packages. I don't want the Blazers. I think Neil O'Shea needs to make a move where the Blazers have those things in two or three players. Enough having one skill spread out over six players. Sick of that. Nope, doesn't work. It doesn't work for the timeline you want. I think he knows that. Neil O'Shea is coy and has planned well. The Nurkic trade is another example of that. This team still has room to grow at will for years, but next year, this this offseason, I want to see a move. I want to see a move. All right. John wants to know, what should he root for? He's scared. John, you shouldn't be scared because the Blazers aren't going anywhere, you know? Just confide in that. And a burrito in a mission. All right, John. Thanks for asking your question. Joshua Williams wants to know, doesn't it seem like Aminu will be back to starting anytime soon? Is he in danger of being put on the trade pl- on the trade block? Ooh, that's a good question because I think for as much as Olshay loves Aminu, it might be smart to explore that. Remember, Aminu's contract is, I mean, it was hilariously... You had, there was hilarious value to it when it was signed. Everyone was talking about that. Then the salary cap jumped by a stupid amount. And Aminu is now making, here's what he's making this year, seven seven 7.6 mil. Then guess what? It goes down. 2017-18, 7.3 mil. 2018-19, 6.9 mil. Goes down. And he's on the con for two more years, two more seasons. No team options, no player options, no ETOs, nothing. Locked in. I mean, uh, man, in 2018-19, 6.9 million is, is that already below the mid-level exception? <laughs> That's crazy. I just, I just can't even, I, I mean, come on. Just give me a break. So, yeah, I mean, the non-taxpayer mid-level exception for 2016-17 is 5.6 million. So it's not quite. But ugh, it might be soon. Oh, excuse me, excuse me. The MLE for the next season could be climbed to 8.4 million. So 
very much below it, according to uh, Basketball Insiders. That is great. Actually, I, I could look it up, but I'm not going to since we're talking. But I'm sure that it's already set somewhere. I'm sure Larry Kuhn has said what it is. But in any case, that's just indicative of, of the value that Aminu has, right? Or sorry, that his contract has. So I think it's it's useful. The problem with Aminu, obviously, is uh, you're having to trade. because The Blazers are, you know, dealing with the luxury issue. And so uh, trading Aminu is difficult because if you have to get the same amount of money back. So you usually have to trade with a team that would be at or below the salary cap for that to work. And if it's not a three-way deal, it's hard to find teams who are below the salary cap. Those teams are usually, and like far below, you know, playing with the floor, are usually far below enough to where they're, they, all have, they have bad players. So you're not getting back what you need for Aminu, right? I don't know. That's a tough one. And I also feel like for as much as smart as Neil is, he is also fiercely loyal. I think maybe sometimes to a fault. We've seen that with, well, I don't want to say it's a fault to keep CJ. I think he's correct in that. But, you know, his devotion to CJ, Myers, uh, a lot of these players I think has been pretty pretty clear. And so I feel like he he's stood up so much for Aminu that it might be hard for him to trade him. I don't know. I, that's an interesting question. I don't know if he'll be starting anytime soon. I don't know if it actually works. We'll see, you know, if Vonley is going to be the starter. You know, he's going up against some big front lines. You got Milwaukee, Minnesota has a big front line. Um, Denver obviously doing work. Houston doing work. Uh, you have to play Utah twice, San Antonio. We're going to see if Vonley gets yanked. I think Terry Terry has no problem with that. Vonley is another Olshay favorite, by the way. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if we'll see him back. It could be interesting to see that as a trade block. Uh, I think you'd have to have a pretty big blockbuster trade to get rid of Aminu, though. That's, that's the end of that conversation. Goldner, Brandon Goldner wants to know, are we seeing the beatings of Noah Vonley becoming a reliable NBA player, or is it a mirage? We talked about this already. Vonley grabbed 11 rebounds against Atlanta. All of them came against Ursan Ilyasova or Air or a space on the floor, which didn't contain Dwight Howard, or Dwight Howard wasn't on the floor. He's playing fine. He's playing fine. But I don't think over the course, I can't I can't tell you from a couple games that Noah Vonley suddenly, I mean, even a rotation player. Right? I mean, if you're like me and you've, again, watched every minute of this guy's career, I don't see that. It's nice It's nice to think that. And Noah is the guy with all his skills. I mean, it, hey, it's great to have the Blazers have the center or the, the power forward that's pushing other teammates out of the way. or Sorry, other opponents out of the way instead of vice versa. That's great. No, Vonley is a huge human being. He's athletically gifted. But sometimes he plays lost. He doesn't play with confidence. He's a little uh, jumpy. Yeah, jumpy. That's what I'd say. Jittery. Is he a reliable NBA player? No. Is that a mirage? No, not necessarily. But I think we're still we're two years away from Noah Vonley being 
anything, or really. I could be wrong on that. I, you know, I called <laughs> the year Joel Freeland was like uh, a crucial part of the Blazers' big man lineup. I called him the worst player in the NBA the season before that, or the off season before that, which actually I think was maybe still true. He did a lot of work in the off season, but I've been wrong before. So I'm saying, thanks for the question. Final question. Jacob wants to know the bench units once again look better without Myers. Are you still buying property on Myers Island? Well, <laughs> talked about that on this podcast before. I think if you're a, a dedicated listener and you've been following me on Twitter long enough, you understand what my relationship is with Myers Lender. Mostly, my uh, my support of him has been largely because I think there was such a large drone of unnecessary. Uh, expectation and um, honestly online chatter about him from a negative aspect and I just wanted to counteract that and I think realistically Myers thanks to Kim Hughes working with Joel Freeland and working hard has got has become a much better player than he was at the beginning of his career now does that mean he's been valuable as a rotation player to the Blazers this season no now, he's not. Myers knows that. Myers was on this podcast, and if you listen to him talk, you can hear that he, he's been disappointed in his play and how this season has gone. I think how that's really connected to last season with the shoulder injury. He came in weak. You know, he, he said on this podcast, shoulder injury made him weak. Wasn't really fully 100% ready to just bang with dudes until what, like, did he say January? I forget. He said the shoulder was fine, but the conditioning aspect and getting the strength back up, you know, because you couldn't couldn't lift weights, you know, that kind of stuff. So he's been behind the whole year. So it makes sense that he's, I mean, whatever progress you thought Myers was going to make this year, he's going to make it, he's going to have to make it next year if he makes it at all. So this year, yeah, has been disappointing. I don't, I've, I don't think I've ever bought property on Myers Island. Never. I've never clamored for him to be a crucial part of the bench rotation. Never clamored for him to be a starter. I think on paper, Myers makes a lot of sense for this offense. And that's something that other teams have to consider if they're thinking about trading for him or if he ends up leaving. He fits a very specific offense. And honestly, a thing that I've noticed with Myers lately, I would say over the last eight games... I noticed, you know, Marching Gortat. I noticed some other guys, like, pushing him out of the way. Like, pretty easily. Without a run-up. Which surprised me. Dwight Howard, sure. Dwight Howard, I mean, Dwight Howard has always pushed Myers out of the way. Remember his first game? Remember, sorry, his first game against L.A.? But I was—I've been kind of surprised with that lately. So I've never been—I've never been on Myers Island. Uh, well, that's not true. I am king of Myers Island, but not in a sense where I uh, thought that he needed to play, um, or was required, or Terry was making a mistake, or any of that kind of stuff. I think Myers knows that. He's taken time. He said he's going to work all summer. 
and get you know played into it. Myers' biggest thing still, and it's it's less evident, I think, but mostly because he does fire away with those threes. But his biggest thing is still the feel of the game. And so he was talking on this podcast about getting out and being able to just play more, which is, you know, he has been playing a lot. And for a guy whose biggest issue is one confidence and two game feel, minutes are the key. Practice is different. I mean, plus practice ain't all scrimmage. So playing the game, getting an innate feel for where you're supposed to be as an NBA big man, that's something Myers does not have. He's, he's gained some of it, sure. And he's very good, I think, at um, covering up his inequities on that side of the uh, sort of that area of the game with um, repetitive actions that are taught, like, you know, basic fundamentals. A shot goes up, he turns and looks for a guy instead of trying to grab it and rebound it and watch the ball. Basic NBA big man stuff. Stops early posts. Hits guys at the free throw line. Doesn't wait, for, doesn't allow them to just quick post down in the block. He's doing a lot of the things procedurally that you would see an NBA big man do. He just doesn't have the feel yet. So, should he be part of the bench rotation? I don't know. Do the Blazers have anything consistent at this point in time other than Damian and CJ? I mean, to be perfectly honest, do they? Nurk, I guess. Save for that one game. Harkless? No. Minu? No. Crab? No. Vonley? No. I'm not going to make a decision on who should be in the rotation. It's all hands on deck at this point in time. So, we'll see. We'll see. I'm still on the island. I'm still, I'm still the king of the island. Come visit me. We're having a great time. Shouts out to Bella. Hope she's doing okay. All right, that's it for me. Thanks for listening, you guys. If you want to follow me on Twitter, you can. That's at Dane Carbaugh, D-A-N-E-C-A-R-B-A-U-G-H. I am on YouTube at DaneNotDan. Go over there, subscribe, hit that bell button. You can get a new notification every time I make a video. I'm uh, I'm about two or three videos a week right now. So having a, a fun time. I do NBA glossary stuff, so you can... Get all kinds of, uh, here's what this type of screen is called, all that all that good juicy information you'll like. I do player breakdowns play and play breakdowns, plays of the week cut type of breakdowns. So head on over there, subscribe to me, I'd really appreciate it. You can find my writing over at NBC Sports Pro Basketball Talk, that's NBCSports.com slash NBA. Please rate and subscribe to this podcast. Go over to iTunes. Leave us a five-star review. That would be great. That helps more people find this podcast, believe it or not. It would be super helpful to get, uh, you know, Gunderson does most of the work. Let's be perfectly honest. He does most of the work. He's out here grinding for you guys and putting this content up for you guys, you know, every other day, every day. So you guys have your Blazer news. And uh, hopefully you guys appreciate that. It would be great if you head on over there. Get a five-star review and just say you appreciate it. I think he'd really appreciate that. I think Eric does a good job, and uh, I think he has a good good grasp on the team. I hope he's bringing you guys good stuff that you like. You can also find this podcast on Stitcher, Google Play. um, Where else? Lots of other places, I think. Man, it's everywhere. Audio Audio Boom. Yes, Audio Boom, whatever that is. 
It's on Audio Boom. You know, Audio Boom. Head on over, give us a review on those ones, subscribe if you're on Android, iTunes, and uh, take a look at the Blazers. They are playing Miami on Sunday, 3 p.m. They finish out. They finish out March again with Milwaukee at home, New York at home, Minnesota at home, LA away, Denver and Houston at home. It's going to be an interesting March, you guys. Uh, Hopefully you guys are heading over to the Moda on Tuesday, March 21st, versus Milwaukee at 7 p.m. And hey, thanks for listening. I'll see you guys next time out.